Three to seven, y'all can cut loose. All right, is this on? Is this working? It's good. Work, work, work. All right. This is not my message, but I just got whatever reason. Look in Acts chapter 9. We, we'll get to the message in just a second. I'm just going to preach this this morning, I guess. I don't know. This might go south on us, all right? If it does, we'll get you out of here. I, I haven't even looked at that this week, but for some reason, this is, I want to preach this. Let me put that. Man. Let's just see how it goes. We'll do a Bible study. All right, in, in, um, in um, Acts chapter 9, it says, Then Saul... Still breathing threats, and I got to slow down. I'm gonna slow down because I'm I'm outlining this as I go. Okay, so then if you're a visitor, just come back next week. Then, <laughs> then Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord went to the high priest. Let me pray for a start, Lord. I just uh, come to you this morning and. Uh, Um, just want to humble myself, um, God, that we had all just humble ourselves, that it's not about the delivery of a message, but it's about your word. And uh, Lord, I just pray that you would guide this. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> and uh, it says, uh, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogue of Damascus. I don't know why I'm upset. Um, so that if you found any who were up the way,
<laughs> Most of us, y'all know what I'm talking about. Most of us have a wicked past, okay? But honestly, if you look at this, I don't think there's anybody in here. I don't know your heart. I wouldn't say there's anybody in here who has this wicked of a past. So when I look at that and go, this is the, this is the kind of people that, that the church sometimes looks at as hopeless. You know, we avoid talking to these kind of people. And yet, you know, God looks at this person and is like, this is my man right here. This is the one that wrote most of the New Testament. That's amazing grace. And so if you're here this morning, you look at your past and you go, you can't live in the past, okay? You got to look and see what grace does. Paul, and this is what I want you to get, Paul makes a, I mean, God makes a radical, radical life change in this man, changes his identity, changes everything to do. Paul walked away from his past and he started believing and following Jesus and and I don't think there's probably ever been another man other than Jesus who has had such an impact on the world, in history, everything else. And, you know, as a pastor, I look and sometimes you, we, you see conversions, people who are saved today. And it's kind of like, you know, they make a profession and they're, they're saved. And, and you kind of look and go, all right, let's see if, if there's going to be a change. And you're kind of wondering, you know, did it take, you know, that kind of stuff. You know what I'm talking about. You know, if you've led people to Jesus, you watch and go, you know, did, are they saved? And, and I just, I long for, I like, Lord, where are the, where are the Saul's in our day? Where are the D.L. Moody's? Where are the one, where is the one who God saves and they just, mm, you know, you know what I'm saying? If, what if the majority of the church was like that? What if we came to a place where our, where my life was so radically impacted by Jesus that I didn't even think about my past. It didn't even enter into the concept of all I wanted to do is follow and serve the Lord. And so how did this take place? I'm going to give you some points here somewhere. But it says, and so he's got an intention, and, and you might have intentions in your life. Well, let me tell you something. God can change your intentions. The work of the Holy Spirit is so amazing that he can take even a wicked person's intention, and he can totally shut that intention down. And so it says, as he journeyed, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly, that's the way God works, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And notice what happens here. He fell to the ground. He heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. I want to point out something about Paul's life that made it so powerful. Paul was one of the most humble people. If you've studied his letters and how much suffering that he went through, even brought on to him by the church. People who questioned his authority. You know, in the church of Corinth, one of the things they said was, you know, he's bold in his letters, but in presence he's weak. And they questioned his authority. He had to go into 2 Corinthians to defend his apostleship. And then you had other believers in the church saying, you know, at first, isn't he the one who's persecuting Christians? We don't want nothing to do with him. 
And so you see Paul, and all the way through there, he didn't do anything out of pride or arrogance to try to, sh- to prove who he was or that he had been with Christ or that, he, you know, Paul was a humble person. But I want you to notice here that God strikes him to the ground. And God, God loves us enough that he can strike you to the ground. He can strike you to the ground over and over and over if that's what it takes in your life. If he's got a plan for your life and a purpose and a calling, and he has that for every person. Not just talking about preachers and missionaries here. Every person has a calling in your life. God wants to fulfill that in your life. And if he has to, he can strike you down. But I want you to notice what happens here. It says, when he fell to the ground, said, what, what caused Paul to become the man of God that he was? It's to start off with, God struck him to the ground. But once he understood who he was talking to and what Christ had done for him on the cross, once Paul understood grace, he stayed on the ground. Might have been the judgment of God that struck him to the ground, but it was the grace of God that kept him there. That's a good point. You know, in our lives, things come about and happen. And God can use all kind of circumstances. And I'm not telling you every bad thing comes from the Lord or it's God striking you down. But I am telling you, you better, you better listen when you get struck down. You notice here that when he got struck down, the Lord spoke, okay? And he said, who are you, Lord? He had, God had his full attention. He was listening. And sometimes when God strikes us down, the very first thing I need to do, I need to look to Jesus and go, Lord, I need to, I need to know if this is coming from you. And God, God will make it very clear. He loves you enough that he speaks and he makes things clear for you. But listen to me, you got to decide. Because so many of us get struck down and we want to work our way back up. And God's like, I'm going to strike you down again. Until you come to a place where you realize... And here's the thing, God doesn't want you to, to, to serve out of fear. God doesn't want me to live my life going, oh, I better do this or you're going to strike me down, or I better serve the Lord because he's trying to... Listen to me, the, the point is, the Lord might bring something about in your life, or your, you know what, your decisions. It was Paul's intentions that brought him to this place. Your intentions and your decisions might bring you to a place to where you're struck down. But God wants you to see his grace and his love and his goodness for you in so much. Think about Paul. He is on the way. Now, if I was Paul, I'd just look at myself and say, if I'm on the way because I go, I hate Christians. I hate this Jesus. You know, I would have nailed him to the cross myself if I would have been there. And I'm going to put a stop to this. And all of a sudden, I hear a voice from heaven. I'm struck down to the ground. I'm laying there, okay, with the hate and intentions in my heart to murder his people. And all of a sudden, I say, who are you? And he said, I'm Jesus. I would be like, oh, God. Here I am in trouble. I'm expecting. What would you be expecting? You didn't, if you didn't read the story, you'd be like, oh, God's fixing to strike me down. I'm fixing to face hell. I can't imagine the fear that overwhelmed Paul. And I think it's the same fear that needs to overwhelm some people today. To come to a place to go, God should, you know, we look at Paul and go, God should have struck him down. He should have sent him to hell right there. I mean, well, think about Osama bin Laden. How many of you, when they called him, went, man, they ought to show him mercy? How many of us, when they called him, said, you know what, they ought to forgive him and set him, let him free? If, if they would have done it, if they had said, you know what, we've captured Osama bin Laden. You know, hey, in case you don't know, he's a terrorist that organized the airplanes going through our buildings. There you go. Most everybody here knows, one of the most wicked men that's ever walked the face of the earth. A very religious man. A man who hates God's people. What if they would have caught Osama bin Laden and said, you know what, we decided we're going we're gonna to forgive him. Show mercy. There, would have been a, there would have been a war. We would have had such an uproar. 
in the United States of America because we know he deserves justice. Paul deserved justice. Understand this, that I and you, we deserve justice. And if I got what the Lord, what I deserve from the Lord, when he striped me down for me to look and go, Lord, show me mercy. He'd be like, mm, no mercy for you today, boy. I'm sitting here straight to where justice is carrying you. I would spend eternity in hell and rightfully so with no plea whatsoever. But listen to me. All of a sudden, when he, when he sees the Lord, God doesn't send him and give him justice. He shows him mercy. He shows him grace. That's why I say that it was, it was, the, it was whatever brought him down. The Lord struck, might have struck him down. But listen to me. It was the cross that kept him there. And so my question this morning, forgive me, my question this morning is this. You know, I think there's a lot of people who experience this in life. We're going our way. we got our intentions. We're going to do our thing. All of a sudden, God intervenes, and it's out of mercy that he strikes you down. But what does the cross mean when you don't get what you deserve? What do you do with mercy? How does mercy affect you? I shouldn't, I don't, I don't care nothing about standing up here and going, you need to this, you ought to this, you, we should this. Read your Bible, go to church, pray, this and that. You ought to be a, everybody ought to have an uproar if I preach a message like that. I don't need you preaching to me what I should do. I need you equipping me for what he's called me to do. I want to serve the Lord because you say, why do you preach? Because God struck me down and he showed me mercy in that. The cross has so impacted my life and I want it to impact yours so bad. For you to see how great God loves you and the grace he offers you and the change that he can bring about anybody in here in your life and the way that he wants to use you and work through you to show that same mercy to everybody else. Later on, Paul said, I am a vessel of grace, one of the lowest ones in so much that if Jesus can do what he's done through me, that it would give everybody hope. And that's what God wants to do in your life. If you're in that place, you go, man, I've been in the lowest place. Well, guess what? Grace is going to carry you to the highest expectation that you can't even imagine what God wants to do in and through your life. And so in that, <coughs> notice what he says. He said, who are you, Lord? And then the Lord said, I am Jesus. And so God reveals himself to him, whom you are persecuting. And notice what he says. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. You know what a goad was, you know, back then? Everybody knows what goads are, right? <laughs> no. I just saw Casey. She looked at me and went, I don't know. Okay, well, I'll tell Casey what a goad is. A goad was when they would when they would have oxen in a, uh, what is it? Yoke. There you go. You have a yoke of oxen. If you had a stubborn oxen who was always kicking and fighting against what you wanted him to do, you would take and sharpen a stick, and you would put it right back there, and it was called a goad so that when he would kick, you know, it would, it would stop that kicking. And so why did he say that to Saul? I'm thinking, obviously, Saul had been fighting against what God was already trying to bring about. There was obviously some prior conviction. I don't know if Paul or Saul was at, I would, I would just, just a guess, can't prove it. I would think he was at the cross. He was a, he was a part of the Sanhedrin, one of the seventy. He was a Pharisee. He was a leader of the Pharisees. So I would have to believe Paul, possibly, most likely, because his pattern was to go to Jerusalem every time at the Passover. So why would he have not been there when Jesus was crucified? To see him and for the Spirit of God to bring to his mind the Old Testament scriptures of the Lamb that will be crucified and slain. 
And for him to go, well, I've got my religion, and I've got my life, and I've got all these things I've invested in. And, I, and you know, he would begin to war against the conviction of the Holy Spirit in his life and against the truth. And he would be the one to stand there at the cross and watch Jesus respond to the crowd in a meek and lowly way and to continue to claim the fact that he was the Son of God. And he would have listened to all of that stuff. And I believe at that point in time, God began to draw Saul. And Saul began to kick against the goats. And then later, you know, he, he gets mad. Or sometimes when we don't want to humble ourselves to what God wants to do in our life, what do we do? We get headstrong. We get prideful. We get angry. And if you're not careful, you start warring against God. And so he starts warring and fighting against God. And the next thing you see that Stephen is preaching to the Jews. Paul don't like what he's got to say. And so all of a sudden, when they're ready to stone him, Paul said, here, let me hold your coat so you can put him to death. And he watched, think about the witness that Stephen had. He watched Stephen die. And Stephen looked up to heaven and said, behold, I see Jesus standing, ready to receive him. You can imagine, when you watch a man getting hit with rocks, you expect. When you see a man nailed to a cross, you expect him to, to fight and to curse and to, and to, with the people. But you know what, Jesus Jesus always bless, always show grace, always love. And all of a sudden you see Stephen. He's not claiming to be the son of God. He's just a follower of Jesus. People throwing rocks. You know, a stone and one neat little thing. We're like, all right, keep everything neat. It was rocks hidden, blood flying. How can a man who's getting hit in the head and the body and everywhere else with stones look into heaven in total peace and go, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. They had, to, they had to hammer. You know, if I was there, I had to be like, man, what's the deal? How can you do that? And so Paul got harder and harder, and the Lord said, you know, right here, you're warring against me. And maybe some of you here this morning, you're kicking against the goad. You know. You know God's dealing with your heart. Maybe you're lost, and you're warring against it. Maybe you're saved and you're warring against it. I don't want to humble myself. I don't want to do what God's called me to do. I don't want to be who God's called me to be. I want to give up what God's called me to do. And you're warring and you get angry. Some of the young people, your parents, God uses your parents to encourage you and you get angry at them. It's not that you're angry at them. You're angry at God. You're warring against God. And here's the thing. God loves you enough. He'll keep on. He'll keep on. But notice, this is my last point I want you to get. He said, so trembling and astonished. and astonished, Say, I, I want my life to change. I don't want to be the person that I have been. I don't want to be what I involved in what I've been involved in. I want to be somebody like Paul. How do you come to the place where you walk away from what you were and embrace who he's called you to be and what he has made you? Notice what he did. He asked the question, Lord, what do you want me to do? No, that's what stirred me this morning when I was sitting over there right before I come up here. The Lord brought that question to me. I didn't even look at this past scripture. He brought it to my mind. I'm like, okay, I'm going to look at that real quick. And I thought, what would happen just in our church if every person here from your heart sincerely asked that question? Lord, what do you want me to do? I don't need Brother Randall telling me what I ought to do. I don't need my mom and dad telling me what I should do. I don't need my wife or my husband reminding me what I am not doing. But what if for my heart every day my life was, this is what, this is what compelled Paul for the rest of his life, that question. Lord, you recognize him. You're the Lord. You give me life. There should have been, there should have been a tombstone on that road right there. 
If, if he got justice, there should be a tombstone sitting there that said, Saul of Tarsus, born such and such, died this day. God struck him down for what he's done. And you know what? There was a tombstone that day because Saul died. He was buried in Christ. Raised up as Paul, the apostle of Jesus, the holy man of God. So my question is for you, is there a tombstone somewhere in your life where you stopped living for you and you recognized who was calling you? It's Jesus. Listen to me. The gospel is not about a pro, it's not a problem solving gospel. And sometimes today, and I told my Sunday school class, you're going to hear this again, but I got to say it and it really doesn't even go with this message, but I'm going to say it anyway. Sometimes today we've, we've designed the gospel to be a problem-solving gospel. We appeal to people's problems, people who are hurting, people who are going through trouble, people who have suffered, people with bad health, people who are having trials in their marriage, trials with their children. They've lost their job, and we, we appeal to that. We go, you know what? When you're at your very bottom, you'll look to Jesus. Not necessarily. Because if you're here and you just want out of your problems and out of your difficulties, Jesus is not the answer. Because he said, broad is the way. Wide is the gate that leads to destruction. Narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life. He didn't promise us that he was going to come in and solve all our problems. And that's why some people, you come to the, you come to the, I don't preach this tonight, the guys in the prison here a little bit. But you come to a Broadway gospel. That's being presented by the church to go, oh, if you'll just turn to Jesus, he'll fix your marriage. You know what? He might not. Your husband or your wife might still go. Oh, he'll restore everything in your life. He can, but he might not. Oh, he can, he can take away the, the sickness. He might not, you might die. There was, there was two different, remember there was two different thieves on the cross. Two different responses to the Lord. One of them said, if, if you are the son of God, save us and get us off this cross. He wasn't interested in turning his heart to Jesus. He wasn't ready to deal with his sin. He just wanted out of his situation. He just wanted his problem fixed. He wanted it better. And I'd bet the farm on it that if he'd have got down on the cross, Jesus would have went one way and he'd have went another. But the other, but the other thief said, Do you not fear God, seeing that we are condemned and rightly so? We're getting justice. But this man is innocent. He's done nothing. And then he looked to him, just like Paul did, he looked to him and he said, Lord, Lord, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Jesus didn't say, you know. Problem's not going to change, but brother. It's supposed to get a whole lot better. <laughs> Salvation is not about us getting our problems fixed. Salvation is this question. Is Jesus Lord? Does it cause you in your heart? Are you, smit, are you smitten by the cross and the love that he's shown you? And so much that you go, Lord, what do you want me to do? You have a place in your life where you got a tombstone. Man, I do. Charles went right here. I can't give you the day, but right here, a wicked man died. He was buried, and Jesus rose him up. Totally different man. Totally new man. And he's got a life for me. But here's the thing: it's not my life anymore. Biblically, now I might try to take it, but biblically, he's like 
Your life is not your own, for you've been bought with a price. The life that you have. Now, what claim does he have to, to tell me what to do? He could have left you dead. He could have left you there. He could have gave you justice. But grace rose me to life. And now the life that I live, I live by the faith of the Son of God to go, Lord, what do you want me to do? You start asking that question, he's going to start answering it. You're going to start seeing him do amazing things in your life. You're going to give God glory. And one day, maybe 200 years from now, somebody will stand up and go, you know what? You remember there was this man one time named Caden Tucker. I'm not saying you're sorry, all right? You are, just like me. What would it be like? Man, what do you think Paul is thinking this morning? Maybe the Lord's letting him listen. What would it be like for Caden to be in heaven and a preacher stand up and go, you know what, there was a man one time. He was, his name was Caden Tucker. He was off in left field. The Lord smote him down. The cross impacted his heart so much he gave his life to Jesus, started following him. Thousands of people have been saved because of the witness of Caden Tucker. Now, if Caden was in heaven, he would be like, <laughs> Right? That's the kind of witness God offers us. One of these days, if you're believing you're going to be in heaven, might as well get the joy of, of somebody speaking about you, how you impacted their life for the Lord when you're gone, right? Listen to me. Ain't nobody going to be impacted by your church attendance. They're not going to be impacted by your American dream living. They're not going to be impacted by your excuses. They're going to be impacted when you go, Lord, what do you want me to do? So I'm going to ask you to stand this morning with your head bowed and your eyes closed. We just have an invitation where if you want to respond to the Lord, maybe some of you need to humble yourself today and go, Lord. Maybe some of you need to be smitten by the cross and the mercy that God continues to show you to let it break your heart of stone. Give your life to Jesus. And as God's people, maybe you're